KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Dave Uran. This might sound dramatic, it's not supposed to be, but working with Angelo Cataldi gave me nightmares. I started out as an intern on his sports talk show in 2009, and over much of the next decade, worked other behind-the-scenes roles. And all these years later, I still wake up in the middle of the night after hearing his voice in my sleep. I'm demanding. I have an enormously high standard, and I hold the people that work with me to that standard. To the point where I can't imagine some days what they're saying after I walk out. At some point, sooner rather than later, Angelo's legendary run as morning show host on WIP is going to come to an end. He plans to retire whenever the Eagle season's over. The fact that I got 33 years in this arena is pretty good. I'll take it. Today on KYW News Radio In Depth, Angelo Cataldi in his own words. I guess we'll start with this. Um, it's December 8th when we're recording this. The Eagles' last regular season games either on January 7th or 8th. So you're a month and change away from being done whenever their season is over. How do you feel at this point? It's a lot. Right? It's um, 33 years is a long time to do one job, especially a job that takes over your life because of the hours that you lead. And you become more and more obsessed with it. So the fact that I see an ending... Wow. It's like, what's going to happen then? So, yeah, it's scary. It's really scary. It's intimidating in some way. But it's also, I'm really in a good place in that I know it's time. I didn't know it was time. God, when you were there, I was probably toying with the idea of leaving. You were. I've I've been thinking about it for probably the better part of 10 years because it's so consuming. But finally, I know. I mean, it's not like you're not going to hear from me three months later trying to come back and get another radio job. This is the end of the line because at least the way I do it, I put so much into it that I can't. I'm I'm at a point now where I realize it's the point of diminishing returns. Do you still enjoy it? Yeah, I really do. I always have. I would have stopped early if I didn't. Um, You know what it is? It, It keeps you so involved in sports. And I love sports my whole life. So why wouldn't you love it? I mean, the Eagles run in, in the last year I'm here, 11 and one as we tape this. It's mind boggling. Yeah. They've never been 11 and one since 1949. It's been a while. You know, it's great. It's like, it keeps you excited. Sports is so unpredictable that every day is different than the day before. You're not from here. You're from Rhode Island. You were in newspapers for a while as an objective writer. Yeah. How did you become a Philadelphia sports fan? Total uh, quirk. It was, a, it was a fluke. Al Morgani um, wanted us to get another job. We were working at the Inquiry. He was covering hockey. I was covering football. And um, he went to Tom Brookshire, who had just taken over WIP. He was kind of running it. And they didn't have anybody to do the day parts. It was a brand new format, sports. So he came in. Uh, Al pitched them a show. Uh, morning sports page, we would do an hour based on the stuff we were writing about. We'd incorporate all the other writers from the Enquirer, and that's how we started. We literally met with Brookie on a Friday morning and had our show on Monday morning. They had no one else to do all these hours. So we started 9 to 10 for two hours doing, uh, talking about the stories we were writing about, and then um, eventually they came to me with an offer to be full-time with Tom Brookshire, 
And I did that for a couple of years. But how did you grow to love these teams? Because I, I know you grew up a Sixers fan and with Wolf, sure. but how did you grow up to love the Eagles and the Phillies and even the Flyers? How did you do that? Great question. I, I didn't love them when I started here. I was an objective journalist. And the first few years, I hope they burned all those tapes, but you would hear a guy doing the job in an objective, not fan-based approach. And the longer you talk to the fans and the longer you realize how big a deal it is to them, the more you become one. And somewhere in there, I can't even tell you if it was 10 years in or 20 years in, but somewhere in there I just said, I got to preach the gospel of the fan. I got to represent what they feel. And I became more and more a fan to the point now where I'm so much more a fan of our local teams than I would be of anything else. What do you like about this job? Aside from the right. money, what do you like right. about it? The pulpit. being Having something to say and having people hear it. There's a power in that. It's an amazing thing to be able to, to have your voice matter. Why would one person's voice matter? It matters because you're doing a job and over time you want enough listeners so that when you say something, they react to it. That It's just that power. That's more than any money they give you or any of the other stuff they do. If, you, if what you say matters, if it has an impact, then it's a great job. So you clearly love the job because you wouldn't yes, have done do. it on WIP for over 30 years if, if you didn't like it. The whole time, Dave. Never didn't love it. But I it, loved it. It wasn't perfect, though. What did you dislike about it? Oh, the hours to begin with. The hours are, are awful. I had many, many battles. You were witness to some of them in the earlier days, especially with management. Because the reason that I left newspapers to come here is that I knew the product that I was putting out was mine. I wasn't being edited the way I was at the Inquirer. I was developing the script for a show and delivering a show that was my work and the work of the people I work with, Alan, Rhea, and Joe Wechter and all the other people. And when management would intercede and start dictating things, I would push back hard because it had to be my product. And I fought for that every day I was here. Lately, it hasn't been a big problem at all, but for a lot of years it was. How did you balance, because the preparation, it has to, you, you, you've explained it many times before, it's extensive. When the show's over, the preparation for the next day begins, the light's constantly on, you're on the internet, you're watching something, and then the next morning, you get up, you have that blank notepad, now your computer, and you start putting the notes together. But that takes time, it takes dedication. How were you able to balance life outside of the show with preparing for the show? Very poorly, <laughs> especially early on. I got divorced. This is one of the main reasons I got divorced. Over the course of the first five years I did it, it totally took over my uh, existence. Three years in, Dave, I was in a bad spot. I, I didn't know if I was going to be continue. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. And um, I ended up getting some help. I was off for three weeks when I was in a clinical depression because I couldn't deal with the pressure of doing a show. I was a year removed from Brookie. Brookie, the first two years, was my backbone. He did the show. I just contributed. And then suddenly it was mine. And a year into that, the pressure was building and building and building. And I reached a point where I needed therapy, I needed antidepressants, I really had to deal with it. And um, my marriage didn't survive it. It was too much pressure, it was too much stress. 
And um, I had a period there of transition, and I was lucky to find another really great wife, mm -hmm. and um, I rebuilt the wife. But that second life, the one with the, you know, I, the people around me understood that I was probably paying more attention to that job than I was to, to anything else. And that has been the way it's been. It hasn't been perfect in my life because I've given so much of it over to the job. Um, so I didn't know all those details. That, that's, um, that, yeah. that's, that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, how did you get through that? Um, I'm not sure. I got to tell you, uh, at the end of it, I, I got enough positive feedback on what we were doing to think that I kind of had an idea what I was doing. I didn't think I did the first few years at all. I had, you got to understand, I had gone to a great journalism school. I went to Columbia to get my graduate degree. I was um, well-schooled in how to do a newspaper job, but I wasn't in radio. I had no idea. I leaned a lot on the people around me, but then I would get in arguments. I had Tom Bigby, who was one of the great radio minds that we've ever encountered. He was almost impossible to deal with on a daily basis. He was dictatorial. He was hard. So it was a stressful period, but by the fifth or sixth year, I started to get enough confidence to think I could do it. But the first five years were really, really hard. You have made a living of describing things for people on the radio and in newspapers. How would you describe yourself? Um, really weird. I'm a weird person. I'm a nerdy at times. I'm a nerd who decided to go into sports. That right there seems weird because sports is populated by athletes, by big men on campus. I was always made fun of when I was in high school or middle school. I was, it's, it's an odd combination. Here's the thing that makes me the strangest of everything that's going on in my radio career. There was never a moment when I ever wanted to be one of the people I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be an athlete. I never wanted to go into sports. Al is my co-host. He played hockey in college. He wanted to be a player. I never aspired to do any of that. It became the best part of what I do because I could trash somebody knowing that I wasn't trying to ingratiate myself to them. I never wanted an athlete who was my friend. I never wanted to befriend a manager or a general manager or an owner. I wanted to befriend the fans. And that's it. I got a chance to go into a radio booth for 33 years and be a fan. That's a good deal. People who don't know you personally, like I do, wonder whether or not what you do on the air is authentic or not. And when I read these things, um, you know, fake outrage or whatever, I, I know for a fact it's, it's not. Your opinion is your opinion. And the way you are on the air is exactly the way you are off the air, but now add in some profanity that you can't repeat on uh, the air. A lot of profanity. A lot of, a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot of profanity. Uh, you're not a caricature. I don't, I would, I wouldn't no. agree with that. Not a caricature. And the, and the, the, the quote unquote shtick is just who you are. It's just amplified through a microphone. Yes. And to show personality. Would you agree or disagree with that? That's absolutely the best description. It is my personality amplified for theatrical purposes because we're on a radio yeah. station. But it is absolutely who I am. And every opinion I've given for all these years, I felt. Did I get a little more outraged while I worked myself up to it in the setting of being on a radio show? I never took on an opinion I didn't believe. 
and I never over, I never went beyond what I really felt. And you know, I, if you do, I'm an awful actor. You would know I was acting. If you ever saw me attempt to act something, you would know, oh, I could tell that right away. He's terrible at that. It's who I am. At the same time, I know that you're also an introvert because you're not social. <laughs> you're very anti, so, and you're shaking your head right now. Yeah. Yes, you're very yes. anti-social. Uh, so what, what do you like in your regular life compared to your sports radio life? TV. <laughs> I love my family. I love my grandkids. I love my wife. I love the people that surround me. And I love television. Wow. And I'm telling you, when I'm, I'm not making it up, the one place that I can always get relaxation is watching TV. And I watch it a ton. And I know a lot about it because I watch it a ton. But it's a family. It's playing with those grandkids, getting them to smile. Mm-hmm. And it's watching television. It's my main thing. I'm really... I hate social events. I despise weddings. I don't like any of that stuff at all, and I've tried to avoid it as much as I could. And you got to understand, I b- came up with Brookie. Tom Brookie never said, Tom Brookshire never said no to a banquet, a golf tournament. And he did literally five a week. And I got dragged along for a few the first year or two. Back of my head the whole time, I'm going, the minute I'm not with Brookie, <laughs> I'll never do this again. And I never did. What do you think it was like to work with Angelo Cataldi? That's a very good question. It was not easy. And I'll tell you exactly why. I'm demanding. I have an enormously high standard that I aspire to every day. And I hold the people that work with me to that standard to the point where I can't imagine some days what they're saying after I walk out. But I don't, I don't, it's, It's the same. I guess it's when you're not a social person, you're not trying to make friends. The people that I work with, and I love them, and I love working with them. Other than Rhea, and only in the last five years, none of them are really friends of mine. Rhea has become it because she's taken over so much of my responsibilities on the show Mm -hmm. um, that I look at her now as the thing that kept me going. Uh, Al, we've known each other 40 years. We lived across the street from each other. Not really a friend. I don't even have his number in my cell phone, right? Mm. Um, Keith Jones, the nicest guy you'll meet in your whole life. Outside of WIP, we don't talk very much. There's not really much there. I don't, I believe that the first commitment when you're on a job like this is to do the absolute best you can do. And I hold people to it. And it's caused problems. I I imagine it's hard to work with me. But I also imagine that given how many people became really successful after they work with us, you, Colleen Wolf, yep. John Gonzalez, there's so many guys that worked there and ended up doing well. And I believe they at least took some of that demand that I gave them and used it in their own careers. I don't regret it. We have to take a quick break, but coming up, more of my conversation with Angelo Cataldi. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You gotta understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavitt story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Dave Uram, and here's more of my chat with WIP's Angelo Cataldi as he gets ready to retire. Working your show for the, the better part of five, six years, whatever it was, um, was life-changing, right? You know, I grew up listening to Times, got to meet you. Um, and I think coming into that internship in May of 09, I was going into my junior year of college. I think at that time, I just figured that I would get into newspapers because, right, I went to journalism school. I just figured I'd get into newspapers. But the radio internship was the only internship I got. And that show, your show, got me hooked on radio, like legit hooked on radio, still doing it 13 years later. I'm a radio guy. Like your show was this thing that started that and sparked that. I don't know if that means anything to you, but that's, that's, that's the truth. Dave, when I'm, I, I'm putting on KYW on the way home to get the news or the sports or the weather or whatever I'm getting, and I hear your voice, I, I feel awesome. I go, wow, there's somebody who came off the tree. He, he made a career of his own after working with us. And, and some people, people like you, people are committed to what they do. It works out great. It was a really successful internship. Others might go, whoa, this is not what I want. And I've had people that never got into radio for the same reason. But to me, if you're going to do a job, whatever it is, you're going to do a career, whatever it is, got to make a full commitment to it. And that's what you did. Pleasing you was a tall task. Yeah. I always wondered, man, I try so hard to please this guy, right? Yeah. And sometimes it just seems like it just doesn't, breakthrough. Yeah, where was bad. that? Was that like the focus you were in or what was it? That's, that's where I went too far. Like I had to understand these are human beings. And I, I, there are times when you, there are other things that uh, take precedence over that. And that's when I became ridiculous. And I've done that many times in my career. And um, it's the price I pay for being that way to myself. I just... Any the slightest thing goes wrong and I'm just down, you know, and I that I would pass it off to other people and some people are not able to handle that and that's that's the negative side of it and that's a I think that's the negative side of a lot of people who are type A plus mm -hmm. who are so determined to do the best they can they lose sight of just the reality of the situation and um, I did that plenty in my career. What I wanted to ask, in addition to what I just did, is what are your regrets over 33 years, if you can think of them? Well, I'll, I'll, the biggest regret I ever had was, uh, I'd say it's 1993, the year that we really alienated ourselves with the Phillies. Um, I, was, I had a reporter in our studio, and um, I, during a break, began to suggest that Jim's... Eisenreich, who had Tourette syndrome, mm -hmm. was ridiculing Jim Fregosi. And I actually put words into his mouth, profanity into his mouth. And it ended up in the magazine article. And when I read it, I said, it was 1993, I was, this was the crisis period in my life in radio. I said, what am I doing? What's wrong with me? Why would I do something like that? And it was being swept up in the moment and trying to be funny and when it wasn't funny. And that one's always carried with me. That, I've carried that with me all these years. That is, that was the lesson to me. If that had happened now, if I had been mimicking a Tourette syndrome uh, a person in 2022, they would fire you. Mm. 
and the minute it landed in the pages, you would be fired. I was fortunate in my timing. People were more accepting than they shouldn't have been. If they fired me then, I deserved it. But those are the kind of things, that, um, attacks on people that did not have the ability to attack back. You, you have this bully pulpit and you're screaming at somebody because you don't like what they said and they're not able to defend themselves. And you'll go to a break after you did it. You really call them an idiot, jerk, all this stuff. You go to a break and you go, why did I do that? What was the point? Oh boy, what a tough guy I am. I was able to out-talk somebody else. No, I still do it, Dave. I would love to say I learned from all of it, but you get swept up in the moment and you're trying to perform at the same time. And there's plenty of those that I'd love to have back. I wish, I, I, you know, I'll use this opportunity. I, I'm sorry for all of you. I was trying to do my job and I got too swept up in it. You deserve better. What do you think retirement's going to be like for you? What's the plan? What do you think it's going to be like? Um, when I start it, it's going to be trying to remember enough to put together a memoir. I don't know if I have any ability to do that. I did once write many, many years ago. Um, it's going to be jarring. It's going to be rough. I expect a really tough transition because this has never really been a job for me. From the time I accepted, it's been a lifestyle. And now that lifestyle is going to end. But I also know at my age, the energy, the commitment, the challenge of doing it, I know I'm going to have to figure out a way to live whatever's left in my life in a way that brings me some of the satisfaction I've gotten out of doing this job. I guess I'll follow with this. How do you want to be remembered and what do you think your legacy is going to be? What do you um, want it to be? I don't think I'll be remembered for very long. I don't. I, I, I see what's happened to other people who uh, did good work in, in this realm. And it's always who the next guy is. And the next guy will come in, in my case, it will be Joe DeCamera and that crew. And I think they'll do fine. And I think a year from now, people go, oh, yeah, I remember he did it. But I don't think it'll leave a major impression. I don't think it should. I think in our job, it's all about what the next game is and what the next opportunity challenge is. And I'm not going to be in that loop anymore. So um, I accept that. I understand it. The fact that I got 33 years in this arena is pretty good. I'll take it. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast for free anytime on the Odyssey app or find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Dave Uram, and we'll have another episode out soon.